the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Welcome to the Common Good Happy Epiphany. We'll get to that in a second. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. You can find us all over the place on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com slash the Common Good. Also on Twitter, Common Good Talk. Also, podcasts. How does Brian say it? Brian usually says... Wherever it is, you can get your podcast. And you follow it up with... Go ahead and go ahead and subscribe and review. <laughs> we appreciate that. I listened back while I was gone. I was like, man, he is consistent with and then that. You with usually, that go come, ahead. usually come in with a, we're not sure how that helps us, but it does. Uh, it does somehow <laughs> magically help us. Yeah, I wonder if anyone like were to stitch those habit. together, like how how similar even the tone and cadence would be of some of that like information bucket type stuff. Uh, I, I'm pretty confident I say it the same way every time. Sixty <laughs> percent of the time it works every, every time. time. <laughs> uh, so this isn't the First show of the year, but it's our first it's show. Our first show of the year. Of the yeah. year. Props to you for uh, holding down the fort, man. Thank I thought you. you did a great job. How did Thank it feel you. doing it? I really solo like that. So uh, my wife was asking me that, and I said I really like doing solo shows as a change up. I would never like to do them uh, all the time. She's like, okay. "Are you excited for your income back?" <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> well, that's very sweet. And I even just think we're be- we are better together, you know. So oh. I think it's. Uh, but it was fun. It was a good time. Are we gonna hug uh, now, or what's gonna again? <laughs> but. <laughs> no, it was uh, it was a good little change up, but it's it's fun. I, I kept at the end of last week telling people it's it's like uh, we're we have yet to kick off the new year for our show, so yeah. that feels like so today. This is the official kickoff of twenty twenty. We're uh, we're nearing our one year anniversary tomorrow, which is tomorrow, yes. right? Which that seems crazy. We'll talk more about that. <laughs> I would have lost that tomorrow. <laughs> Yeah, we know. There's actually like recorded evidence of that. <laughs> our, our first month, you were like, "Can't believe we're still here." I know. <laughs> we turned the mic up. Like, here we go again. <laughs> After a couple of weeks, I was like, "This guy really has no confidence in this show at all." <laughs> it's growing. <laughs> it's growing. A year into it, Brian's like, "You know what? Maybe they're going to let us keep doing we this." We might stick around. <laughs> all right. So I mentioned it, um, and it's funny because I feel like every year when I bring up. Epiphany, particularly among Protestant friends, people are like, "Come again?" What was exactly. That? Or that uh, that scene from Hook. Remember Hook with Dustin Hoffman and Robin Williams, yes. where I think it was Smee, and he goes, "Wait a minute." I've just had an apostrophe. <laughs> and it goes, I think you mean an epiphany. <laughs> and I remember that being like my first exposure to that word. Like, I have no idea yeah. what that is. But, you know, uh, the greater global church, actually, uh, epiphany is a pretty big deal. I'd love to know without any cheating or Googling, whatever. What has been your experience with epiphany? Do you guys celebrate it at all? Is there, has that been a part of your tradition or your family of origin? This will be a very short answer. It is no. <laughs> it is no. And in fact... Yeah, I don't. I, the, I think one of my blind spots or one of my weaknesses is with the overall church calendar. 
and uh, hmm. the liturgical calendar. Because when you put it kind of like, hey, I want to talk about Epiphany, my first thought was, oh, no, do I really know what the, like, <laughs> do I have a good grasp of that? So, yeah, I don't have any history with it. What about you? OK, so I grew up. Um, a pretty unique sort of dance. You know, you and I both went to CMA churches. Right. My mom's side of the family uh, predominantly are Roman Catholics. And so that was always at least kind of um, brought up in general conversation. So I feel like I had some exposure to it. And then later in life, really grew uh, fond of a number of my relatives on the side of the family, which led to some really helpful dialogue stuff that, you know, neither of us really kind of knew about the quote unquote um tribe that we were a part of right. so i you know historically i'm very grateful for dialogue even though you know our cma church probably like most cma churches epiphany wasn't really something that we celebrated no. i remember even i made a post a couple days ago no that's not true <laughs> maybe a couple weeks ago about the 12 days of christmas yes and someone's like okay this is the first time i'm hearing any of this is that right like, oh so that's encouraging that like Maybe this is something that people are interested in. You know, I, I saw a lot of people take down their Christmas trees and their lights December 26th. Yep. And I want to be like, no, it's the second day of Christmas. You can keep it up. It's encouraged to keep it up. Uh, so the Feast of Epiphany is, is I, I like the way this one article actually begins. It says, Epiphany highlights the manifestation of Jesus to the Gentiles, that is, to the Magi or wise men from the East. Further to what was stated uh, in At Epiphany and Beyond, what and why you worship manifest a great deal about you. The wise men were truly wise. They value Jesus based on his inherent worth. Like them, we need to value what really counts at Epiphany and beyond. Which I, so Epiphany uh, is a lot of things, but it's celebrating um, the uh, the appearance of the Magi, which yeah. is uh, uh, an important part of the story that a lot of us are aware of. But what I think is really interesting is that these were really, really unlikely characters mm-hmm. in this story. They were likely sorcerers or um, people that you know had worshipped gods other than the God of Abraham. And the story of Epiphany is like this pretty scandalous realization that, like, man, who we decide is like in or out sometimes is very different than what God decides or how He depicts the the appearance of the Magi. We're recognizing Jesus for who He is as someone mm-hmm. who, like, culture at the time would be like, well, they're not really a viable option right. for someone to see Jesus in His fullness. I think that is a really important part of the Christmas season and celebrating all that is something that uh, I want to do better at going forward. I think. Yeah, it's and it is just amazing. I get hit by this every Christmas season is with each person that you talk about in the Christmas story, you're reminded again and again, that person shouldn't be there. That person shouldn't be there. I think Epiphany is great. And you bring up a great point with the whole, there seemed to have been more talk on Twitter right now about like the whole 12 days of Christmas. Maybe it's just the people I interact with. And, um, (laughs) but it is this whole, um, uh, that, that there's, there, there's more to the story than just December 25th. Right. And so, yeah, carrying it on, carrying the story on into Epiphany, I think is important. I think it's good. And, you know, there there are people that I interact with who are just scared of, like, the liturgical calendar because, right. hey, nope, we're, we're non-denominational evangelicals. You can still you can still go to it and, and still learn a lot, and I think it's still important. Well, and the other thing to note, too, is that it marks the end of the Christmas season, but it also marks the beginning of the season of Epiphany. So this idea mm-hmm. of, like, of revelation, of of showing forth, of God's presence being revealed to unlikely people, that's actually pretty central to the gospel story. It's mm-hmm. often the most unlikely people that God shows up most intently or that are closest to the kingdom when Jesus is talking about little kids. He's like, man, unless you become like them, which would have been a very unlikely statement. I think that's part of what I love about the church calendar is that some of this stuff has been 
it's not only deeply historic mm-hmm. and tied to and rooted in some really rich history, but it also kind of helps, I think, pull back the veil and the curtain a little bit of some of the narrative that is, is for a lot of us, very easy to overlook. You yep. know? And I think as pastors, even, I appreciate you saying, like, I don't Yeah, I don't have much exposure to this. And what's important, I think, for us to at least grapple with is that the vast majority of the global church um, celebrates this in a pretty big way. And if we are to be ecumenical, and I think mm-hmm. that's part of our, our goal and vision for the church, big C and little C, yeah. maybe interacting with some of these things is actually really important. Yeah, and I think that, again, for those of us who are have the bent of kind of that whole non-denominational uh, evangelical church, it is always a good reminder when reading things like this that uh, that the church didn't start in like you know 1984 <laughs> or yeah, like right, 1993. Right, right. Uh, that it that it predates the conferences that we did. It predates the churches we planted. That we're part of a larger stream, and uh, and that reminder that 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 uh, grounding the church. Obviously, some traditions really ground their church in history, but others. You know, for better or for worse, struggle to do that. And I think things like this are a great reminder that that the church runs more globally, uh, but also more historically than we probably give it a credit for. Totally agree. And well said. And our co-show back up and running in 2020. Making it happen. Making (laughs) waves. Coming up next. A guy that I think you're going to love who drinks jet fuel for breakfast, an all-around good guy, Eric Metcalf. And he's done all sorts of things in his uh, couple decades career. A couple decades? Am I outing him too quickly? We're going to find out. We are going to find out. You guys are not going to want to miss this interview with my friend Eric Metcalf. That's coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with the right Reverend Brian Fromm. You can find us all over the World Wide Web on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com slash The Common Good. Also uh, on Twitter at Common Good Talk and wherever it is you get your podcast. And I say this all the time, but we're still a new show. So any of those shares or likes or subscriptions do somehow mystically and magically help us. And I have no idea how or why, but I know that it's true. <laughs> it does. But Brian and I say this all the time. Uh, we love just talking about topics and stuff that we're grappling with. But I think my favorite part of the entire show is having guests, particularly mm-hmm. in-studio guests. And uh, I am so thrilled. We haven't really mapped out where this conversation is going to go. <laughs> oh, yeah. Which is super dangerous <laughs> with someone like Eric Metcalf. Eric, welcome to the show, sir. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's good to be here today with you guys. Mm-hmm. So for people that don't know who you are, why don't you introduce yourself, and you can go in as much or as little detail as you want. You can be That's scary. as professional <laughs> or personal as you want. That's what I'm talking about. I'm excited <laughs> to see where this goes. Yeah, okay. All right. My name is Eric, and uh, I'm from a small town called Xenia, Illinois, mm-hmm. down in southern Illinois. Uh, I sometimes will jokingly say that when God was planning for me to be born and brought here to this earth, he was pointing to a large city, and he was ready to send me there, and he sneezed. (laughs) And I ended up in uh, Redneck, USA, Xenia, (laughs) Illinois. A couple hundred people lived down there. I lived there about 20 years of my life. Um, I oftentimes will say, too, that I did not grow up in a Christian home. Uh, I'm not used to that, and Hmm. part of my spiritual journey uh, is not experiencing the local church Hmm. until I was in my teens. And uh, sorry, Mom. No offense, but it wasn't really a Christian home. And uh, so I was there, and my brother was dating a gal, and uh, she said, hey, if you want to keep making out, uh, you got to come to church with me. <laughs> That's my version of the story. Uh, and uh, he ended up going to church. He became a Christ follower, invited our family, and that's no where kidding. I found my way back to God was in that local church yeah. uh, called First Christian Church down in Flora, Illinois. Wow. And uh, that church had an internship program, a scholarship tuition program set up for university seminary. I found my way into 
ministry, doing small group ministry and leadership development. Did an internship at Community Christian Church. Got connected to community. Been on staff at community with Dave and John Ferguson for uh, 20 years now. Wow. Yeah. Did you just get the gift card for the 20 years, by the way? Did we... I, I did. Got a, got a nice plastic Rolex. It's been awesome. <laughs> the gift card. I wear it every day. I sleep with it at night. Obviously. <laughs> it's a good look for you. Well, off air, you were telling us that right now you're doing a lot of global stuff through New Thing. And I'm fascinated by what even some of the stories you told us in the one or two minutes. So tell us a little bit what you're doing with them and just kind of this paint a picture for what's going on globally, even for those of us who are kind of, oh, we can't really see past Chicago, right? So what's going on around the world. Yeah, New Thing is our church planting network. Uh, it's just, just over 10 years old, and really it's our effort at Community Christian Church, if we could, to catalyze movements of reproducing churches, mm-hmm. not just here in Chicagoland, but all over the world. And God has been gracious and done way more than we could ever ask or imagine in terms of uh, reaching people and building relationships. Um, in fact, just now in 2019, in this year alone, uh, we recently were able to celebrate that we've planted over 855 new churches in 2019. Wow. Um, and a lot of this is happening uh, through the partnership of local churches. Mm-hmm. Uh, we like to say oftentimes that New Thing doesn't plant churches. Churches plant churches. Mm. And so we come alongside of pastors. We come alongside of teams. Uh, and we work with them all over the world. In fact, right now we're working in now uh, 44 different countries. Um, and it's just very exciting stuff, and I get yeah. the opportunity to be a part of that. So what, what's the grand total globally of churches that are a part of New Thing? Just to create a frame of reference for people, what's a ballpark? Yeah, I mean, we have just about 3,000 churches that are part of New Thing right now wow. that are working together to plant churches together. Mm. Um, and we oftentimes refer to those churches simply as reproducing churches. Yeah, uh, These are churches that work um, collaboratively to plant churches together. And so we organize these churches into networks, a network, think of it as like a small group yeah. for pastors. And these that. pastors, they come together to hold each other accountable uh, to plant new churches over that coming year. That's and amazing. We, we do this all over the world with these churches. Well, and I see this too because, you know, we're real life friends, but you're traveling all the time. And I imagine like what you're seeing when you're actually doing boots on the ground ministry in various different places in the globe is like, oh man, there's a lot that the American church does differently or maybe doesn't see at all. Or like, what are some of the things that when you go on these trips that you come back and serving in a local Western church, you think, man, we could really, we could really stand to grow in this area. I wish we understood this a little bit better. What are some of the things you tend to bring back with you? Yeah. I mean, I guess I come at this conversation with a little bit of caution just because I don't Mm -hmm. want to sound preachy or um, even too angsty and prophetic towards it all. But I will say that for sure, what seems to be a barrier for us here in the West um, is education and financial resources. Hmm. You would think those could be assets and they Mm -hmm. can be, Mm -hmm. um, but they can also be significant barriers to Mm. multiplication um, and significant movement for the local church. Um, Because in other parts of the world where they don't have the same levels of education, the same amount of financial resources, they generally don't see those as barriers to multiplication. Hmm. But if you sit down with a pastor here in the States, oftentimes that's the starting point. Right. Yeah, I don't right. have the people. I don't have the money. Yeah. Wow. And rarely do we ever hear that outside the United States, specifically mm. in under-resourced countries. No kidding. Or in countries that are under-evangelized. Oh, mm-hmm. That's fascinating. It strikes me, I, I think, being in the church world, we know what it means, but there might be people out there listening like, what do you mean by multiplication? What, what does even multiplication yeah. within churches look like? Could you explain that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, for us, it could be multiplying at the macro level, or it could be multiplying at the micro level. So when it comes to multiplication at the micro level, it would be looking at ourselves as leaders within the local church, uh, and how do we multiply ourselves through apprenticeship? Hmm. And so having someone that would come alongside you as you follow Jesus, asking them to be developed and to grow into a spiritual leader within the local church, 
Um, and through that apprenticeship, you multiply your leadership, either a small group or you multiply a team. So that would be the micro level. Mm. Uh, at the macro level, it's really like every pastor imagining themselves the privilege and the opportunity of multiplying themselves in the role that they play. Hmm. So if you're a pastor in a church, why not set a goal for yourself that every year you would apprentice somebody right. as a pastor that would then go out and start a new church? Hmm. And imagine the kind of movement that we could all start together yeah. if we had that kind of simple discipline of apprenticeship and macro multiplication um, at the pastor level. Yeah. So why do, you, why do you think that's so rare? Because we've talked about this on the show before. Patrick's been on the show before. Okay. I didn't grow yeah. up in a church planning church at all. And I think when I started a community, when they told me, hey, we're really um, passionate about church planning, I thought, oh, that's adorable. We have a garden. Church <laughs> planting is a great idea. And they're like, no, you don't understand. I'm like, that's very true. I don't understand. Like, what do you think are some of the barriers to even that line of thinking? Because what you just said in 30 seconds I would think every pastor would be like, yes, of course. Why aren't we doing that? But it's obviously not always that easy. It kind of depends upon who you read, but the short version, short answer to that would be APEST. Mm. Um, You have Alan Hirsch, who's written 5Q, and many others have written on the subject matter of the fivefold ministry, Mm -hmm. where you have the apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher. Paul talks about in Ephesians. And, you know, in terms of North America, specifically in the United States, uh, we've had a a dominant voice for a long time, which is Mm. the shepherd, teacher. Um, and in the recent years, it's been the evangelist, which is where we see the church growth movement. Mm. Um, and now we're starting to hear like a louder voice of the, the apostolic, mm. um, the prophetic. It's really allowing for us to push to the edges as a church, right. push outside the walls to think not just in terms of church growth, not just in terms of good teaching and good pastoral care, but also in terms of multiplication and, the, and reaching the injustices that are in our neighborhoods mm. to help reconcile the differences that we see in our communities. That's a great answer, man. And I think people listening are going to understand why we wanted to have you stick around for multiple <laughs> segments. So you are not going to miss the rest of this conversation with Eric Metcalf, who is a church planner, a leader, mm-hmm. a developer, a lover of flat brim hats. And <laughs> all true. All, all true. true. <laughs> You're going to need to take our word for it that's, on the radio, that's right? That's true. Yeah, radio is great for those types of visual cues. That conversation and more is coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everyone. Welcome back. We missed you. Uh, it's the Common Good Radio Show with Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. You can find us on Facebook, the Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com slash the common good or wherever it is you get your podcast. I find more and more people listen to us at twice the speed, which subtly implies I just have to get through the show as fast as possible, which <laughs> I'll take. I yeah. mean, I'm you're getting through. I'm, it. <laughs> yeah, I'm enough of a words of affirmation guy that even that still feels like encouragement. But. We have in the flesh, in the studio, incarnate, if you may, which I, I, I may, uh, Eric Metcalf, <laughs> whose, whose resume is so interesting to me. So you've been a part of community for 20 years, and you've held Two zero. a number of different yeah. positions during that time. Like You have this very interesting trajectory to me because you just have, one, I think a lot of passions, and two, a lot of skills. And I want to go back to the kind of the beginning of your partnership with community. What was that like? And you were involved in writing stuff and leading small groups, which eventually led to you being in Lincoln Park, which we'll get to in a second. But what what was that like back in the beginning? Yeah, I mean, early on when I came to community, um, I mean, really, I was a little like kind of starstruck by the impact that community was making. Right. Um, and Dave and John Ferguson and their leadership and really grateful uh, to be a part of something so exciting. Um, the, the church at the time was, I won't get these stats exactly right, but it was running like a thousand or something like that. It was hmm. two locations. 
it'd been multi-site for one year mm. and I'd never even seen something like that or been around anything like that. And so it was super interesting to me when right. I first came here. And when I came, I was an intern and I did an uh, internship in small group ministry and I ended up graduating with a small groups degree, which was pretty unusual. I found out later on. <laughs> um, I yes. didn't know it was unusual. I was like, okay, that's what I'm doing. I'm doing small groups. Hey, so I did this internship uh, with John Ferguson and we worked together uh, and I, I learned a lot from those guys and just had a lot of fun the first several years for sure. Mm. Because as we went multi-site, uh, we had the opportunity to speak into other churches that were considering multi-site. Right. We developed a strong relationship with leadership network and began to work with them to coach other churches to do that. And somehow I just got a front row seat to a lot of that because mm. I was just part of the mix mm. um, as a young leader trying to figure things out. My wife and I had been married for a year and wow. uh, we were just diving right into ministry. And what's great about community and what I love about our culture at communities that we're very empowering about young leaders specifically, but mm-hmm. leaders in general. Um, and the apprenticeship path that I was on just gave me lots of places to kind of sink my teeth into and jump in with ministry. So yeah. it's great. Totally. Yeah. And then you said uh, eventually you ended up helping start Lincoln Park Campus. Uh, I think I got that right. What was that journey like and then being on the front lines? And you were telling us a little bit like what your strategy was to get that church off the ground. Why don't you talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, so about eight years ago, nine years ago, I was directing our new thing network full time uh, as the director. And I found myself kind of like getting a little like I needed to get back into the local church. I'm missing being on the front line, working Hmm. with leaders, uh, helping people find their way back to God. I miss the mission. And so. Uh, for us, we just decided, let, what would that look like in this next season? Hmm. Um, and I can remember, you know, specifically as a family, we would sit together and pray together and ask God, what would it look like for us to be on mission together in this next season? Hmm. Um, and it became very obvious that he was leading us to the city. And so uh, my wife and our three kids, uh, we sold our house. We got rid of half our possessions and we relocated from the suburbs to the city wow. uh, to launch a location of community uh, in Lincoln Park. And uh, you got that right. I did. Uh, and Lincoln Park. and uh, we went down there and, you know, God just did more than we could ever ask or imagine. Again, like we we're just surprised by how he showed up uh, with people jumping on board and jumping in with the vision and mission. Huh. Um, and one of the core practices that community has, uh, we call our blessed strategy. Mm. Uh, and blessed stands for like all alliterations. <laughs> it stands for something awesome because that's what pastors do. Uh, it stands for begin with prayer, listen, eat. Uh, serve, and then story. And mm-hmm. so when we planted this location of community, uh, we took those blessed practices and applied them not just at the micro level, because we want every Christ follower to be about the blessed practices, but we used this at the macro level to mm. launch this location of community as we led uh, the launch team through this process of beginning with prayer, walking the neighborhood, listening to the needs of the community around us in that yeah. process, uh, sharing meals with people, building relationships. Uh, serving them as we saw the needs that emerged. Yeah. And when the time was right, we told them our story and what we were up to and why we're starting this new church and what, and what we're hoping to accomplish. So if I'm doing the math correctly, then when you made this move from the suburbs into the city, your youngest was like five. Yeah. What was, what was that like moving into the city with this dream, this passion, but also like I have like young kids. So yeah. the selling hat, like I just looked around my house yesterday and I'm like, I have more plastic, shiny, noise making <laughs> toys than I ever imagined I would. What was that like in sort of framing and preparing you and your family to actually do that? Well, it wasn't easy, and it took a long time. Really? I mean, if you talk to my wife about it, it took me about 10 years to wear her down and finally convince me <laughs> to move into the city. <laughs> uh, but in addition to that, she had a, a very clear hearing from God hmm. uh, that really shifted her head and heart that we
we needed to do this as a family. Wow. Um, and that was a really powerful moment to get to experience with her. Yeah. Um, but then in, in addition to that, for about a year, we sat and prayed together as a family hmm. to help our kids understand that, you know, the Metcalf family, we're a family that's on mission. Yeah. And we're going to do whatever it takes to help people find the way back to God. And then this season... Wow. We're looking to hear from him on what that would what that might look like. Yeah, that's and so, fantastic. And I can remember taking them downtown. We'd take them to places like you know Lincoln Park Zoo. <laughs> yes, and, yeah, this you know, is where like, we're going to cool live. McDonald's is in downtown Chicago. I'd be like, this is where we're going to live. And so you know, we the best li- dad ever. Yeah. <laughs> All right, dad. And they love the Cubs. And so it was kind of an yeah. easy win for them too, from that standpoint. Um, but no doubt, there's nothing that we regret in terms of the stuff that we got rid of, hmm. uh, the things that we sacrificed. Um, in order to be on, on mission, it was a huge win for us. I family. love that, man. How did you and your family know that season was over then? And what was that process? How hard was that um, when that kind of closed for you? Yeah, I mean, we handed over the location July of this uh, this last summer in right. 2019. Right. Um, and honestly, like, it still feels fresh. Mm-hmm. Like, that was not an easy decision for us. Um, we loved the people that we served with. Uh, we loved our team. Uh, we loved the individuals that God allowed for us to reach. Uh, it was one of the most difficult things that mm. we've ever done. Um, and we like to think of ourselves as the kind of family that takes lots of risks and does everything we can to invest in the mission. Um, and during that season, it was just incredibly challenging because yeah. we we ended up reaching a lot of young professionals, um, people who are, that were single in their 20s and 30s, uh, really starting their first career mm. uh, in college, some of them getting their master's and their doctorates. Um, ended up being a really powerful opportunity for us to come alongside them, but it also meant that we'd be saying goodbye to a lot of people right. uh, on a regular basis. But still, even with all of that, um, it was just such a huge part of our lives for yeah. so long hmm. uh, that when it came to the time where we felt like God was releasing us from that, um, it was not an easy thing for us to hear. Well, and I can also say this, just having not worked closely with you, but you know, kind of under the same umbrella for yeah. a while, Like, I just think you are legitimately one of the most relational people that I know and I, I have always really appreciated the the kinds of like fully submersive boots on the ground ministry that you've done and so I, I, that makes sense to me that then to leave that to move back to the suburbs there would be like an inevitable tearing like oh man we, I That's wasn't just pretty much what it felt like right I wasn't just the campus pastor here like I was doing life with these people yeah. and like this became like our entire ecosystem and I think that translated to now this global mm-hmm. role that you have is so exciting to me. And I want to ask you a little bit about that coming up in the next segment. But I want to just briefly, in the minute that we have left in this segment, yeah. what hope or encouragement would you give to the people who are in the city right now, who are grinding it out and they're struggling? Mm-hmm. And the city is a different beast in a lot of ways. Pastors, congregants, whatever. Like, what, what hope do you have for the city of Chicago? Well, first I would say we miss you. Mm-hmm. Like, it's, it's a place that's in our heart. It's a place that we're passionate about. It's a place that we care about. Yeah. And we know how hard it is to be there in the city and do the mission that you're doing. Um, and secondly, I would say we need you. Mm. You know, the city, we believe the best stats that we have is that less than 5% are connected to a local church. Wow. Um, and we need lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of churches. Wow. Um, and so your work and your ministry that you're doing is important to the mission, and we're grateful for what you do. Uh, we have, New Thing has um, a small little movement. We call it the Chicago Land Movement that has about four networks of churches that are working together to plant churches together. If you're interested in getting connected to what we're doing, yeah. uh, we'd love to come alongside you and your leadership and your pastorship of your church to help start more churches across Chicagoland. So reach out to us at newthing.org. I love that, man. All right, well, coming up next with Eric Metcalf, we're going to talk about the global church and some of the areas that the church is growing the fastest uh, will most certainly surprise yes. you. We're going to talk a little bit more about that, get into his head and heart, and uh, ask him about his love for denim shirts. Come That's on. all coming up next here <laughs> on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. 
Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. John is not excited that Brian's laughter was coming through. Are you okay over there, John? Are you mad at me? Gonna... It was a bit off-putting, but I, I'll work with it. Laughter was Your off-putting? Your laughter is off-putting? We're going to talk about this. I didn't expect I have a it. lot more <laughs> off-putting stuff than that. <laughs> Touche. Anyway, welcome back to the show. Just Google us. You can find us. we got to get down to business. Here we have Eric Metcalf in the his house. Come on. I hate myself for saying that, and I'm so sorry. Um, Eric, if you've been listening to us for the last two segments, has done all sorts of really fascinating things, and it's been so cool, because I actually knew you even before I came on staff. I think you and I, there was something, yeah, fist bump, man. I don't know why, but something about you and the way that you see the world in ministry, I, I just found really intriguing. So now you're at this global scale, this global level, partnering, partnering, <laughs> partnership new yeah, with New Thing. You can learn more at newthing.org. But I want to learn a little bit more about, first off, where do you see the church at work um, globally in general? And how do you actually build these partnerships? Like, What is the actual nuts and bolts mm-hmm. process to do what you do? Yeah, I mean, as the uh, new thing, Global Associate Director, think assistant to Dwight Schrute. Uh, I get to work with Patrick O'Connell, um, Joe Wilson, and a team of people that help uh, catalyze movements uh, in a lot of different countries. We're yeah. working in 44 different countries now. Um, and primarily the main methodology that we have for that is looking for what we call a person of peace. Hmm. Uh, it comes out of Luke 10, where Jesus sends the 72 and encourages his disciples to go into homes that welcome them. Um, and so what we do is we look for the person of peace in any given country uh, that helps introduce us to the right relationship. Hmm. Um, and that right relationship really ends up oftentimes being the same person. Hmm. Um, they're an apostolic leader. And what we mean by that is that they have probably planted a church themselves. Um, they have either planted churches out of their church or they planted their own church. Um, and they have big dreams. They really believe that God's going to do more than they could ask or imagine. They're just not sure what that's going to look like. Right. And so the like-mindedness brings us together. Hmm. Uh, we'll do a Zoom call with them, a video call, um, three or four of those, to help make sure the relationship is right. Um, and then we'll share with them kind of the dream that we have. We'd love to be able to catalyze movements all over the world. And hmm. um, is, if it feels like God's kind of lining those planets up and we're you know connecting on that vision, uh, we end up doing what we call a catalyst community event. Hmm. And we'll do three of those over a two-year span within that country. We help them build and raise up leaders. Wow. Uh, we help them build missional culture. And then we help them um, build into networks and movements yeah. that will prayerfully plant churches together. That's uh, awesome. And that's what we're doing globally right now. See, and that's always so encouraging to me. It's something that Brian and I have talked about a number of times on the show is that sometimes you can get so hyper-focused just with your thing, right? The the address that you're in charge of or the maybe even bigger, the denomination that you're a part of. And to hear stories globally about what God is doing in places that a lot of us can't even visualize, right? We've never been to. We don't know anyone over there. You have a story about Albania, I believe, right? Yeah. What, what is the story there? I think this is a, a helpful kind of frame of reference for people that are wondering, like, okay, how do I how do I better pay attention to what God is doing on the planet? Yeah, about five or six years ago, we were introduced to a gentleman named Altine uh, and also his friend Cadus. And these guys, man, they are church planters. They love the kingdom and hmm. they just really wanted to see God do something exceptional in their country. Um, and if you're not familiar with Albania, uh, Albania is less than 1% evangelical Christian when we started working right. there. Um, and it's a, it's a high Muslim country. Um, it used to have a communist uh, rule over mm. from Russia. Uh, once the regime was broken down and the countries were divided up, uh, Albania is one of those countries became a, a free country. Mm. Um, and over time, um, as these guys were working together to plant churches together and we were working with them through our Catalyst community events, uh, we began to network these churches together. They began to plant churches together and they began to see exceptional results from that. Um, in the last five years, they've been able to plant 
just over 60 churches together. Oh, my gosh. Um, and now they're over 2% evangelical Christian in that region. Um, there's been a number of networks that have birthed out of that. It's led us into the other Balkan nations that are there. Hmm. We're working in Macedonia as well. Uh, we're beginning stuff in Montenegro. And we're just seeing, again, God do more than we can ask or imagine. It's been really That's exciting. wild, man. This might be a bit of a strange question, but you're getting to see all this stuff going on. Do you ever sit back and be like, man, like... <laughs> Like, this is a crazy ride. Like, yeah. do you ever look back over your life, or is it just too Literally. busy right now? Or do you look back and just be like, man, this is wild. And how do you just kind of process that? Hmm. Yeah, I mean, honestly, like, we say all the time that when we're on the road and we're speaking at these different experiences, we'll use the phrase sometimes. We'll say, hey, listen, there's nothing special about Eric Metcalf. <laughs> like, I'm just a knucklehead. <laughs> there's nothing special about me. And this is totally what God is doing. Hmm. And all we're doing is joining him in the mix. And we're just really grateful and thankful for what he's already been up to, what he's already prepared and uh, he's, you know, he's before us on all this stuff. Mm-hmm. So. That's amazing, man. Cool, man. I want to make sure to ask this question before we run out of time. How can someone who's listening, maybe they're familiar with new thing, maybe they're not, maybe they've never heard a new thing. How, how can we, anyone listening, either on air or on the podcast later, be praying for you guys, come alongside you, other ways that people, if they want, can support you financially or otherwise? Like what, what are just some of the avenues that uh, you would encourage people to consider? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, especially when it comes to money. <laughs> uh, I mean, we're continually raising resources to what we to do what we do. Uh, yeah. We have some sustainability models. We do have some ways that we are able to financially support what we're doing, but we also raise financial support for what we do. Mm. Um, a number of us on the team raise uh, their salaries, and we're really grateful for that. And we partner with them in that way as well. Um, but you know, someone could come alongside of the, a Catalyst Community event when we move into these countries. Um, we think on average it costs us about $12,000 to run a Catalyst community event. And in many of these countries, we'll, we pay for that. We sponsor that mm-hmm. as an organization because uh, a lot of the countries that we're working in are under-resourced um, or they're under-churched. And so right. they don't have the resources financially. They don't have the, as many churches to support right. such an idea. And so we're sponsoring those events. And so one could sponsor a Catalyst community event for twelve grand, or they can invest in a country for $36,000 as we launch uh, – launch a Catalyst community in a, in a particular country. And all of that they can learn at newthing.org. All of that is uh, yep. navigatable somewhere on navigatable. that. <laughs> on that web thing. You know, <laughs> the interwebs. H-T-T-P-P colon slash slash. All right, the last minute we have left, how, how can we be praying yep. either for you specifically, your family, new thing in general? Like what, what's one or two things that uh, we can be praying for? Yeah, I mean, all the same stuff maybe that others might say in this kind of responsibility, just pray for safe travel, safety yeah. as we work in these new countries. Um, that God would continue to connect us with the right persons of peace, the apostolic leaders. Um, really, they're the ones that are working on the ground, building the relationships, doing the hard labor of planting these churches, raising the resources, getting the leaders in place, yeah. uh, hearing from God as they go, and uh, just that God would continue to bring us those people that we can work mm-hmm. with and come alongside them in that way. And I'll keep praying that uh, you can adjust to the uh, life in the suburbs that I know is... That would be greatly <laughs> appreciated. Whoa. Please. I know that's been a real journey. <laughs> you might need to fast for that one. <laughs> take some extra sacrifice well, to get that prayer answered. Lucky for you, we're in 21 days of prayer and fasting right now, well, Eric Mack. <laughs> well, I really uh, I appreciate you, man. I appreciate your heart. I appreciate you. just the chance appreciate to see what God has done in your life. It's been a lot of fun, man. You can listen to Eric Metcalf here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey everyone, it's Ian Simpkins here. And after I had this experience with Thrivent where we were able to host this marriage conference with two other churches in the area, 
my interest was kind of peaked with regards to what kind of organization this was, and it was really fascinating because they approached me, who was pastoring a church in Bartlett, and they said, we actually provide these free workshops for people that want to be wise with money and live generously. And so they sent me this link, and it was all these different topics, questions that people in my church actually were asking. And so it was remarkable. They hosted this workshop uh, a number of times in the coming months for people in our church to do just that, to to be wise with money and to live generously. And that's kind of how this relationship began, because there was this no strings attached kind of mentality. It was just their heart to give back, to partner with pastors and churches to help people uh, live generously, to be wise with money and live generously. And that was kind of the continuation of my relationship with them. And so if you're interested in learning more, I can't encourage you enough to head to Thrivent.com today. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. We are both surprised and delighted you've returned. Uh, <laughs> if you'd like to find out more, you can go to Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com slash The Common Good on Twitter at Common Good Talk. And uh, the whole podcast thing. You know what? If you got a like a smart gift, like an Alexa or a mm. Google Dot, try this on Versailles. I think you can just say, hey, Alexa, play me The Common Good. And that works. I have no idea. I just thought I'd... Somebody can try that and let us know. That would be nice. Yeah. Do you have one of those? Uh, we have an Alexa. Yes. You do? Yes. Why don't you try it? Yeah. Like, <laughs> this is going to sound really weird. Like, I realized, like, I don't use it very much. Oh. And I who, can give it a try. Who uses the Alexa the most in your house? Our kids, probably. Oh, really? Yeah. For jokes. Alexa, tell me a joke. No. Yeah. Really? Hey, go try that one. Alexa, tell me a joke. And That's she'll tell you big, jokes. Last time I was in the house with an Alexa, I said, Alexa, can you beatbox for me? And she did. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that was a thing. This <laughs> is different than Alexa, but I was enjoying on Twitter following your, uh, what, did you get a Roomba? A, uh, yeah, we and did. Was, you were tweeting about it, which I found very <laughs> funny. But you need to tell a little bit about that. The Roomba, the, uh, the, uh, the thing that vacuums for you, right? Yeah, my folks got us one, um, and I'd never, I've never owned anything even close to that so i you know i'm doing the whole download the app and i plug it in and um my my eldest owen two years old when it was off thought it was awesome the moment it started vacuuming though he was like oh no and he like ran from it and then he got comfortable again so what we ended up doing i think my tweet was something like i thought the Roomba was supposed to save me time but what i ended up doing is just watching it the entire time with my two-year-old going go boobot he can't say a robot yet so he's just like hands in the air go boobot which i just found so adorable it's like a toy from does the thing actually work though like i've always wondered those things does it do a good job vacuuming the whole house or to, it strikes me it wouldn't get to everywhere. Well, and I hadn't fully charged it yet, so we didn't. I haven't given a full okay. run yet. It's. Uh, it seems like it's scared of certain areas and really particular about other areas. Like it kept going back to this one corner. I'm like, 
You You're got good. it, Roomba. We're good. <laughs> let's move. Let's move on, Roomba. But it does That's actually have like a sensor though that like picks up on like particular like crumbs that are on the floor. Yeah, it's going to turn on you. One yeah, day. we have we have Skynet in the house now. It's a cyborg that's going to destroy us all. The room is like, Ian, this is my house now. <laughs> all the doors automatically lock when I yes. pull up. Like, oh, okay, well, time to go to the red roof in, I guess. Um, all right, so. I'm a little torn on doing this story at all, but uh, I just saw enough of the interweb losing its mind. I figured, okay, why not? So yesterday was the Golden Globes. Um, do you guys normally watch Golden Globes? I do like not. A, you don't? Okay. So and it's not like a cultural st- I just It just isn't on your radar. It's not on my radar. Yeah, I know some families, it's like a tradition, and they mm-hmm. even if they're you know, in different places of the country. So uh, Ricky Gervais has now hosted five times, <laughs> and he gets like a... Uh, open monologue or something. I don't know if that's par for the course. I think it is. Again, but I don't really watch. Risky if you ever r- r- Right, that. exactly. Which it always has been. Um, but he kind of, and it's like eight minutes long, but he, he rips into a number of people in the room. And I wanted to, I wanted to share a brief clip and then kind of get your reactions to it because I think, I think there's some subtext though that's pretty fascinating. Take a listen. Apple roared into the, the TV game with a morning show. A superb drama. Yeah. A superb drama about the importance of dignity and doing the right thing, made by a company that runs sweatshops in China. So, well, you say you're woke, but the companies you work for, I mean, unbelievable. Apple, Amazon, Disney. If ISIS started a streaming service, you'd call your agent, wouldn't you? So, if you do win an award tonight... Don't use it as a a platform to make a political speech, right? You're in no position to lecture the public about anything. You know nothing about the real world. Most of you spent less time in school than Greta Thunberg, okay? (laughs) So... Okay, so you're laughing a little bit. It's funny. It is. (laughs) So I want to drill down kind of beneath the... And the whole eight minutes... Plays kind of like a roast. Like he just uh, is taking people in the room, and it's pretty remarkable to see um, the video of it because, per any roast, some people are laughing, other people are very uncomfortable. Tom Hanks went a little viral for a reaction he made that. at the very end of this particular segment. Um, I'm curious though, what do you think about a Hollywood person at a Hollywood party? kind of tearing into other Hollywood people about the morality of their decisions or or about mm. encouraging them or disparag- disparaging them from giving some sort of like political speech while they accept their award. Like, how, does any of that strike you as interesting or fascinating or unique? I think the interesting part of it is he said what a lot of people think, and he said it mm. in a funny it is a roast. Like, you watch it eight minutes. It's like Jeffrey Ross is going to come out next and yeah, start right. roasting someone. Uh, but he did it. You and I were discussing the difference with a roast is that people are there for that purpose. Uh, this was, you know, we're all playing nice and we're all cheering and he's just tearing them. Right. And I even asked you because I told you I didn't watch it. And I was like, was it like all meant to be mean spirited or was it meant to be funny? And you kind of said, I'm not sure. Like, yeah, it's kind of right. the, the, the brilliance of, of uh, Ricky Gervais. But uh, I do think it's funny and there's a lot of groans because there's a lot of truth to it. Right. Hmm. Uh, people. Uh, Hollywood celebrities lecturing about how the world should be, uh, but not always living up to those same standards. You and right. I did a story a long time ago, right, about the about the big climate change conference in which a lot of celebrities took their private jets to. Right. And there's, I think a lot of us, rightly or wrongly, feel like there's a hypocrisy that then you get lectured to by certain people and you're like, okay. I don't think that we live in kind of the same area. Like we, we understand the same things. And so I think 
what makes for great comedy, right, is is somebody pointing at stuff that, that a lot of us or a lot of people even in that room feel are true. When he was going off on Apple and stuff like that, or no, when he was going off about, like, you think you're so woke and this, that, some people cheered in the background, right. which is probably also a little uncomfortable. So <laughs> in the end, uh, a couple of things stand out to me. One, I think he was doing it for the publicity and the laughs, like that's his role, but also right. to kind of make a point. Two, I think he knows, now he's now asked him back five times. They might, they might, you might just consider they want him to do this. Yeah, right. And to keep the, uh, uh, to make it uncomfortable and to get the clicks and this and that. But no, I, I don't think he was wrong, and he said it in a funny way, and I think that's what uh, that's what makes people laugh. Well, and he he ripped into Felicity Huffman, mm-hmm. and he talked about Epstein, he talked about DiCaprio, and he talked about the Irishman. And he talked. I mean, he nobody was, was off limits. They really, they really weren't. What I find interesting, and we've you know touched on this a little bit too, if, if comedy is in some way an expression of the prophetic, or at least potentially, yeah, um, you know, like the, in the same way that the court gestures would have been centuries ago. I wonder if there is some value. And again, Gervais is a pretty outspoken atheist, non-believer, whatever. I'm not saying we need to adopt any of his lifestyle or right. frame of reference or any of that. But there is something that you were saying to, I mean, when someone says hard truths, but does it in a humorous way, yep. uh, we do tend to be a lot more receptive. And I thought it was interesting, someone who's wearing an expensive tuxedo at a really glamorous party saying to other glamorous people in the room, hey, um, Maybe don't use this opportunity to lecture other people because I don't think you actually live in the real world. <laughs> yes. Some might say, well, that's hypocrisy. You're yeah. a celebrity, Richard. Who yeah. are you to tell other celebrities? But maybe there's actually wisdom to saying, hey, as someone who's kind of one of you, um, we really should not be in the business yep. of lecturing ordinary people about yep. how to live their lives. And I think he would say, and I'm not going to spend time lecturing ordinary people. I'm going to lecture you. <laughs> He'll lecture the lecturers. Interesting. Exactly. It's kind of what he did. And. Uh, also, as an aside, it's so different from my personality of like just whether you think it's inappropriate or appropriate for what he did. It's the gutsiness of it to stand in front of these people. I was going to ask you about that. Is that part of the really appeal? Care. You're like, oh, I would never do that. But that I is think, fascinating. I think there's part of the appeal. I think a lot of people go, man, I, I, I'm glad someone's lecturing the celebrities and I'm never going to have that opportunity. Right. Or probably wouldn't have the guts to do it. And he's just like. Whatever, here you go. Interesting. And uh, away he went. It was uh, it was a fascinating eight minutes, and uh, and funny. I'd encourage people to go YouTube it and watch it. Well, can you formally encourage them? It's not totally safe for work. That's, that's a good point. Good. I probably won't have my kids watch it. Yeah, that right. It was that's on probably, network TV. But, that's you know. true. Good point. Either, either way, we'd love to know what you think because I thought it was a, a pretty interesting, very Ricky Gervais thing to do in yes, general. And some people, they just can't get past his smugness anyway, even if he is right. And he's British. Right. <laughs> I like British people. Oh, boy. Well, that, that one slayed PJ. He's done. Um, anyway, let's round a corner here. Coming up next at uh, Passion 2020, which is this massive like young adults conference, um, college students raised over $1.2 million for this particular cause. We're going to talk about that coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. everyone welcome back to the common good my name is ian simpkins along with brian from uh after that last segment we need maybe uh, a bit of a right turn a cleanser a cleanser i don't want to say cleanser because i don't want to <laughs> like a yeah let's this uh, this next segment will be like a sorbet this will be a, a nice sorbet i love 
<laughs> he gave me a whole other story. A whole other story. Over Christmas, when you, you and I weren't together, uh, we took the kids down to... Uh, this is total, like, right there. Love it. We took the kids to the city for a night. We took some of the money we got from the grandparents and yeah. stuff and said, hey, we're not going to buy more gifts. We're going to go do a, get a hotel. We nice. went to this thing called Comedy Sports. Fun uh, night in the city. And uh, we, Madeline, my oldest daughter, just wanted to do, like, dinner that overlooked the city. We said, mm. well, dinner's a little too expensive. So we got right. dessert at, like... You know that Lakeview Tower, I think it is, out by Navy Pier oh, or yeah. Oberlin yeah. or whatever? There's a restaurant at the very top. They were not thrilled with us that when we just asked for the dessert menu. Uh, but it was gorgeous <laughs> and beautiful. And uh, I ordered some sorbet, and it was wonderful. Wow. I'm so wonderful. proud of you. Look at Lemon you. sorbet <laughs> with something else. It was wonderful. But a fun little excursion over uh, the holidays. Yeah, that, that punchline was worth a journey. That was, that was one. Also, our <laughs> hotel overlooked the new giant Starbucks. That makes no sense. There was a there was a line there at like seven in the morning that looked like an hour long. Oh yeah, people are making pilgrimages. It was crazy. from the suburbs. I went to a Starbucks across the street to get a drink that overlooked that Starbucks. <laughs> it was wild. <laughs> yeah, I don't care about coffee that much no, at all. Not I could get even my iced tea somewhere else. Yeah, <laughs> I could grow my own beans, grind them, yes. and brew them in my own kitchen. Um, right. So back to Passion 2020 because I took us to Sorbet, <laughs> but now I'm back. You're back. I'm, I'm back. Sorbet to Passion here <laughs> in the Common Good. All right, so here's the headline: uh, At Passion 2020, college students raise over 1.2 million dollars for this cause. Why don't you get us into this article? Yeah, and the whole passion uh, conference, the whole passion movement is really fascinating uh, because I think it always happens right over the Christmas, New Year's holiday. And uh, it's it's these young adults. It's it's college students coming together. And uh, I Louis Giglio and his wife, Shelley, started it years ago. And mm-hmm. now it's just a movement. And there were 65,000 young Christians uh, ringing in the new year, worshiping Jesus, it says, at the Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta, which in and of itself, before getting to what they raise money for, is a fascinating thing that there's all these college students congregating right. to, well, to bring in the new year. I don't know. You're like six years behind me. Was passion even a thing when you were in college or had it not even started yet? You know, uh, I'm sure it was a thing. We probably have access to this information, don't we? What, <laughs> when did passion begin? I, know. I didn't know about it in college at the very least. Yeah. Yeah. And so anyway, one of the things they do is they raise a, a bunch of money. So it says uh, college students ages 18 to 25 gathered from 80 different countries and a total of 1,700 colleges and university joined together for a campaign called Share the Light. To symbolize the effort, passion organizers lit the flame in Jerusalem and carried it to the conference as a symbol as a sh- as a symbol of shining the light of Jesus to the world. And then Louis Giglio said, <clears throat> how do you know that Jesus rose from the grave? How do you know the truth? So they raised $1.2 million, and you teased it. It's, it you think to yourself, how would college students want to spend $1.2 million? And what they all the money went towards was... Uh, for Bible translation projects to make it possible for every person on the planet to experience the Bible in their own uh, languages. Illuminations, the organization that partnered with Passion, is, quote, a collective impact alliance of Bible translation partners and resource partners working together to eradicate Bible poverty in this generation. That's something I've never thought of, to be honest with you. Bible poverty, places that don't have... You often think... uh, I often think of Bible translation as kind of like a more old school mission model, right? Like, hmm. what did people do old in older generations? They went and they translated the Bible. But this is pretty fascinating. And they took this money and they said, you know, we are going to, uh, we want to go towards getting Bibles in the hands of especially impoverished nations that do not have them. 
Like, what a what a cool goal. What a cool mission. Well, and they raise money every year for these. It says, since 2013, students have joined together to raise money for different initiatives, including the End It Movement, which has raised $8.3 million to fight modern-day slavery. So, yeah. two things I want to talk about in the story. One, who knew college students had money, mm-hmm. right? That's remarkable. That often is uh, kind of the trope in local church ministry is that, yeah, we need young people, but they don't really have equity yet they don't have any liquid yep. capital yep. they don't have you know what i mean there's sometimes that dance like well, we want the energy of the young people but we need to st- you know still sort of appease the the deep pockets and that is an unfortunate dichotomy i don't know i don't even know if that's a helpful way to think about it right. but the other thing though that i find interesting is like what you were saying the the ministry they chose to focus on uh, being bible trained i have a number of friends who are in the field bible translators is that right? and uh, yeah the stories that they would tell and i will often kind of say or share the same thing like wow i didn't even realize this was still such an urgent need um which by the way i looked it up passion conference started in 1997 so this, oh, this I was would have applied go. to both of us i never heard of it we had no idea right but this is you know in atlanta <laughs> but the idea that a bunch of college students would get together and i saw a bunch of people posting photos and stories from this conference which anecdotally as an aside like even just the sheer numbers yes. of that many young people because on the show you know we're almost a year old now we've done a lot of stories about how millennials are leaving and they're yep. not coming back yep. and you know the the dire conditions of the local church ministry as it pertains to you know young people conferences like this and i realize a conference isn't the same as like week in week out investment yep. in a local church i get that but there is something about like oh man no there's still there's still a fire burning, I think, in the hearts of young people for stuff that doesn't necessarily affect them. Bible mm-hmm. translation for them has never been a need no. in the United States in their life. Not even close. Absolutely. So for them to like raise those kinds of funds for a need that is is pretty um, poignantly global uh, is another aspect of the story that I find really encouraging. That they saw this as such an important need, that they were able to you know willing to put their money where their mouth is. I think that's incredible. Yeah, and the goal of Illuminations, this organization, is to make the Bible accessible to every person by the year twenty thirty three. And it, uh, something we've talked a lot, we talked with Eric Metcalf earlier in the show here, is that sometimes it can become hard to have a global picture of right. the, just not just the global picture of the church, but just what people are going through around the world. Right. To think that, that we're that far away from everybody having a Bible when most of us have, you know, multiple Bibles in our bags and in our offices and in our homes. Uh, and on our phone. And our fo- on our phones. Yep. It, it reminds you that the world, uh, the, the global, uh, what's going on around the world is oftentimes very different from our experiences. And I think it's great to give uh, college students a an education in that because that's part of it, right? They didn't just say hey, we're giving to this. They explained it. Here's why we're giving to this. Here's here's this. Right. And Passion has done a mo- other unbelievable things. It says uh, they they've often given money to the End It movement to fight modern day slavery, and through college students have raised eight point three million dollars. Yeah, and, and it's all really encouraging because you said we we rightfully share a lot of stories of doom and gloom of the next generation and the church. Uh, but there is still something going on in the next generation that we need to cheer on and be excited about. So how do you do that at the local level? Like what, what are the ways So, you know, four corners community church is not going to raise $1.2 million for Bible translation, but what are like, what are the ways that anyone listening Chicagoland or anywhere yep. is thinking like, all right, th- this is inspiring to me. How can I cheer on or fan the flames of young people in my community? Because sometimes, you know, young people need the wisdom of the people that have gone before them and they don't know it, you yeah. know, and that's, you know, you and I have both shared stories about knuckleheaded decisions we made in our right. early 20s. But how, how does someone listening actually do that, do you think? You know, there's a couple different ways. If you're our age, I think um, 
not treating younger people like they're they're some lesser person within your congregation, right? Like allowing them to lead, allowing them to make mistakes, mentoring, you know, coming alongside uh, men and women. I think helping get them to places like passion might be uh, very helpful. I think for the church as a whole, like, again, when's the last time you or I got up in front of our church and said, hey, let me tell you the need of something like Bible translations worldwide. Right. Like there's. I would bet that the vast majority of people in our churches would go, what? Yeah, like, I right. never even knew that was a need, let alone this kind of a big need. And right. so uh, I think it would be really helpful uh, to even just illuminate some of those needs. Which I think is also pretty empowering when young people hear their leaders talk about issues that they care about. Which, again, I wonder how much of them went into this conference passionate about this topic and yeah. how much of them learned about it in the moment. But I think... Um, the leaders that I know that seem to be engaging young people with the greatest amount of success are the ones that are actually like listening first. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I think that is that is a philosophical shift that a lot of us will find challenging because the you know the original kind of rubric was I'm the leader and I'll tell you what yes. is important and to instead say all right. 18-year-old in our church, like, what makes your heart beat fast? What are you really amped about? Where do you think maybe we're even missing it? Like, those are hard questions Absolutely. to ask because it means that sometimes we'll hear stuff that maybe we don't want to hear. But uh, I think you're right. I think it's an important exercise, an important thing for us to all sort of be willing to uh, to take that posture. Absolutely. Up. All right. Well, coming up next, a segment that uh, still kind of workshopping here. It's called Rapid Fire. It's like, what do I have? Four or five stories that we're not going to linger on, but they've just been in the news, and I think it's worth talking about. So maybe, you know, maybe Brian will give us a hot take for each of them. I'm Mr. Hot Take. Mr. Hot Take from in the house here for Rapid Fire. So we're going to talk about some of the stuff that we've just seen in the news we want to talk about. And that's all coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. You can find us all over the World Wide Web. And a segment that I am not subtle on the name of, Rapid Fire. Rapid Fire. If you have a... If you have a <laughs> well, that sound effect sure makes it. You it know does. what? I'm feeling better about it already. What was, what was that sound effect one more time? <laughs> yep. Nailed it. That's its name forevermore. Amen. Rapid Fire. Um, so every once in a while, we, you know, you and I have a shared Google Doc. We do. And we'll just, you know, throw links on there of stuff we're reading or seeing or see that other people are posting. And every once in a while, not every once in a while, pretty much every week, there are stories where you're like, oh, that's interesting or that's really local. I don't know if I have many thoughts about it specifically. Ten minutes worth of discussion right, on right. this, but it still I think is worth you know, especially since it's uh, we want to be both local and global and talk about stuff that's current, but also stuff that's a little more evergreen. So here are just a couple of articles, a couple of stories that I thought were relatively interesting. They do kind of run the gamut. Fair warning. So the first one is a little more. I don't know. If lighthearted is the word. It says farewell to Hamilton, the biggest Chicago show ever, to the tune of four hundred million dollars. Are you surprised by that? No. I, I, did you ever see Hamilton while I was I here? I never did. It was fabulous. Really? So the, last year, that was my wife's Christmas gift from me. So her and I went to see Hamilton. Uh, and it was unreal. And uh, yeah, uh, it, it ended yesterday. Yep. Uh, and up until the end, I even looked at tickets for like the last, like while over Christmas break. Yeah. And it was like or north of $400 a ticket. Oh, gosh. And so, no, good for them. Uh, I told you over the summer, through a weird, crazy con- uh, bringing together events, I had a chance to go golfing with the guy who played Hamilton and the guy who played King George. That's right. And so uh, when I read the stories about them, really cool guys, and uh, more power to them. Hey, way to go. Uh, that was quite the epic run. 
that they went on there. The guy who played Hamilton, uh, Miguel Cervantes, played it since day one in yeah, Chicago. Crazy. Like really impressive stuff. And I'm bummed that I didn't actually get to see it. To it's be honest, in Milwaukee, probably not as good, but you could uh, you can still see, I can still go to probably Milwaukee. worth seeing. Is my point. Well, I'm starting to realize that I should have asked you to use your golf connection here to help me get tickets. That's I, why. I tried to see if the golf connection would help get tickets. Uh, the answer to that was no. <laughs> That's fair. All right, next story here in our rapid fire segment is a pretty scary one. So you probably have heard about the uh, wildfires in Australia, right? Oh, crazy! Um, So I mean, now up to twenty five people dead because of these fires. Something like almost a half a billion animals lost. Like it's, I've seen some of the. Have you seen any of the photos from space? Oh yeah, it's it's pretty unbelievable. I don't know how caught up you are on this, but I'd be curious to know. I don't know that you know anybody in Australia or have any friends. But what does what does this story do for you? It's uh, it, it is heartbreaking when you watch the news, and uh, obviously the most heartbreaking thing is when you hear about the loss of human life. But I heard that number on the ra- on the uh, Today Show. I think the half a billion animals, and I almost just fell over because that number is so big that you're like half a. Wait a minute. I was yeah, like, my first thought was they they must have meant half a million, and then I read it and they're like, nope, they meant half a billion. Uh, and so the, all of it's just tragic, and and it's also scary because you watch it and you're like, I don't know, I'm assuming they can get control of it, but you're like, what and what's the end game in this? How does this all end up playing out? So you end up praying for them, and uh, and hopefully you know rain comes soon and something can happen, but it's really scary and and it's overwhelming. We could lose sight of it because we don't you know we live half right. a world away. Uh, but it's really sad and, and really struggle. It's a really sad thing. Uh, Associated Press reports that 12.35 million acres of land in Australia have been burned. That's un. That's like in. That's just in unfathomable. Yeah, like I don't even have categories for that, which and, is pretty crazy. I mean, and there's, of course, an entire climate change discussion around all of this, mm-hmm. and they're saying it's not climate change that was the catalyst for these fires, but it's the dry conditions that most certainly has, at least very possibly led to some of the some of the difficulty to contain them, and uh, yeah, just an unbelievable. At the very least, I wanted to say, man, we we need to be praying for Absolutely. Australia and the people on the ground there, trying to uh, trying to bring all those those fires to really an end. fast. It says uh, that it estimates four hundred and eighty million mammals, birds, and reptiles have been affected in the state of New South Wales since September. Like this, is just on those yeah. numbers, you just can't fathom. That's them. staggering, man. All right, next here on the rapid fire uh, is Netflix Messiah a Christian TV series or blasphemous? <laughs> the answer remains a mystery. Have you seen the show or any trailer? I saw a commercial for it. Okay. And honestly, as the commercial was on during a football game, I was going. I thought to myself. Is this interesting or is this something I should be turning while my kids are sitting here? Like, I didn't know. And uh, because it seems like it's really supposed to, uh, it's produced by Mark Burnett and Roma Downey, who have done a bunch of different things. And right. it says, it has perplexed Jesus followers who are left wondering what message the series creators are looking to share in this obscure show. I just, I don't know much about it, except that I think it is going to create a lot of discussion going forward. Will you watch it? Do you think we give it a shot? I, I I don't watch a ton of Netflix stuff. Like, I wish I was more of like uh, tuned into the kind of the bigger things. I wouldn't avoid it because it's like there's something bad about it. I'm not saying that I'll ever end up watching it, but I, if it gets some sort of buzz and people are like, you know, it's culturally you need to watch it. I'll give it a watch. How about yourself? Uh, yeah, I might, I might give it a go. I've had enough people already ask about it that I feel really? like, all right, maybe just for my own categories. Like this ChristianityToday.com article says Netflix's Messiah says the world needs a savior. Mm. So. There's 
there's, you know, and then it kind of gets into some of the details of how it goes about giving that message. But I think, um, I don't know. At the very least, I find it interesting. It, for me, there's there's been a lot of conversation lately around, like, movie depictions of Jesus that are maybe less than yeah. historically, biblically accurate. And I think we need to be cautious of those things. I am... If we had more time, maybe this actually is a full segment sometime. I am curious why we're seeing this rise right now in like Jesus focused exactly. dramas and film and TV shows. And that that to me is kind of interesting. Yeah, but absolutely. I'll probably, I'll probably check it out. I'll bring a full review, full review as soon as I watch it. OK, so here's here's the one where we all might get in trouble. So uh, I'll let you take it. <laughs> nope, you're uh, in, in Miami speech, Trump tells evangelical base God is on our side. Mm. What do you think of that? So I. I honestly was a little uncomfortable that there was an evangelical like uh, rally, just like it, it just felt uncomfortable. But the biggest thing that I would say about that headline uh, is uh, let's be less concerned that God's on our side rather than that we're on God's side. Like, uh, are are we uh, living as he has called us to not? Is he blessing what we think uh, our country, this nationalism tied into our faith? We've said it a million times is dangerous. And so. Uh, you know, I, I don't think it's for us to say God's on our side. I think we need to constantly be asking ourselves, am I living as God has called me to live? Am I living as Jesus showed us to live? Uh, and what does that mean within our politics? What does that mean within our nation and the world? It's been a while since I've felt this uh, ill-equipped to, like, weigh in on a conversation, though, because yeah. this, you know, I was I was with my family still when all of this was kind of... Yeah. Yep hitting the Twitter sphere and I was like, man, I really, really want to, I mean, I, it's been interesting to watch mm -hmm. people and leaders and authors and, you know, it's all, to me, it's always fascinating when it's someone that you think, you know, yes. the conclusion they'll take. And, um, I mean, just as a Jesus person, I, I'm not a fan of war yeah. at all. And I think that's at the very least should be close to center of kind of the Christian heartbeat. But, oh. um, there's so much nuance here. I just think the, uh, the God is on our side, Dangerous mantra language. is super dangerous and uh, problematic, hopefully for obvious reasons, but maybe not. So maybe that actually is a full segment another and time. Because but. of the way the evangelicals uh, really swung the 2016 election, if you believe that, I think we're going to hear a lot of God language from both sides in 2020. I, I think, think we already are. Yeah, yeah, but I think it's only going to increase. And so I think it's going to become really important for pastors in the church to know how to navigate that better. I totally agree. All right. So let's end on a feel good. Yo, I'm ready. Let's close up. Rapid fire with a feel good story. Here we go. Gosh. <laughs> After nearly seven decades together, this Crosswell area couple died the same Aww. day. They met as young adults in Sanilac County before spending close to seven decades together. Then, just hours apart on New Year's Day, they each died of natural causes. We just theorized, my dad said, I've got to go, but I'm not going without her. Bart Perry said of his parents, Robert and Janet Perry. So they left the same day, and that's the way they always were, family members said. I, I don't know what it is about that story. And I've read other articles about um, how common that actually is. There is something about the the will to continue to go and yeah. and then it's, it's amazing to me that something as like nebulous as will can actually have like physiological physical implications yes. right here and now and uh, I don't know man what what do you think about stories like this where it's just like that's just it's sweet it's, it is sweet right it's sweet it says he fell ill and he died on Wednesday and then his his wife was doing better she was having some trouble with hip surgery but then she died four hours later and you know when you're 
you know, of that age, and it's still hard. You don't want to romanticize it too much. I'm sure the family is right. grief stricken in this and that, but there there does have to be some comfort that mom and dad, who are together all that time, uh, went on the same day. There's something beautiful about that. There's something sweet and romantic about that, and I and I think it's a nice. It's it, there's something nice about that. Well, go home and uh, hug your loved ones, then yep. Brian. That's what I would encourage you to do. Love and, it. And anyone listening, so you know, in uh, a history of right turns, let's close up the show. Land in the plane with some interweb insanity stuff that our producers have found online that we have not seen or sound effects we have not heard. And uh, that's how we're going to wrap up the show today here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Here's some weird stuff we found on the internet. <clears throat> Here's some more weird stuff we found on the web. All right, everyone. That music can mean one and only thing. One and only thing? One and only one thing. <laughs> only one thing. What was I actually hoping to say there? I don't that know. Didn't come out well at all. I mean, one thing and one thing only. There it <laughs> is. There it is. Now you're back. Wowie. Wow. Wow. Is it Monday still? <laughs> Anywho, we end the show the same way, whether we should or not. Uh, stories we have not seen, sound effects we have not heard that our producers have chosen for us. <laughs> Sounds very real. They have selected yes. them for us specifically, and uh, hopefully. They're as uproarious as we've been promised. Brian Fromm, why don't you kick us off? Well, how better to start the year than with Florida? Well, yeah, and a naked man. Naked Florida man arrested for biting police dog in ear while high on meth. Jeez, don't do meth, kids. Was the police dog high on meth or the guy? (laughs) I don't know how that was written. English is weird. Last Friday in High Springs, Florida, police were called to a residence where they found Donald Watts high on methamphetamine and rolling around in the mud in a ditch. Oh, boy. He was also completely naked and making bird noises. Well, why not? When when Watts spotted the cops, he punched one of them and failed to be deterred by stun guns. Accompanied by a canine officer named Casper, police found Watts in some woods nearby. He proceeded to get down on all fours and mimic the police dog, which he bit in the ear. Casper responded by biting Watts in the head, and Watts was finally arrested on multiple charges. Now, as I was saying, uh, drugs are bad, okay? Meth is crazier yes, than I realized, is. though. Yes, it is. My goodness. Meth combined with Florida, yeah. that's what it was. C- creates methorida. Yes. Okay, don't encourage me. Louisiana, man held gun to son's oh. head for drinking last Dr. Pepper. Oh. This is a scary one. Oh, going to be alcohol. A Louisiana man has been arrested and charged with holding a gun to the head of his nine-year-old oh, son. this isn't funny. Because he was angry with the boy for drinking the last Dr. Pepper in the house. What? Chad Kennard, 39, was arrested on New Year's Day by deputies with the something parish sheriff's office. We said the incident happened four days earlier in West Monroe, where Kennard and the boy lived. The arrest affidavit states that the boy went with his mother to the sheriff's office and told investigators his father became angry at him because he consumed the last Dr. Pepper in the residence. It says Kennard pushed the barrel of the gun against his son's head because he was upset with him about the Dr. Pepper. The affidavit also said Here it is. that deputies were told Kennard had been consuming alcoholic beverages at the time of the incident. I must have drank me about 15 Dr. Peppers. Jeez, Louise. That, that, was, a, that was a hard one. one. Golly, that, hard that one. is so frightening. Back to Florida. I'm all about Florida today. Yeah, yeah, you are. Police hunt toe-sucking home invader. I don't like this. A 20-year-old man awoke last Tuesday to discover a male intruder at the foot of his bed sucking on his toes. Do they call a tow truck? (laughs) Investigators say the victim was sleeping in his bedroom when the suspect somehow entered the locked Bradenton residence on December 24th. It was Santa. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Around 3.30 a.m., his toes were in the creepy stranger's mouth. 
Oh, the gosh. victim asked the suspect what he was doing. Uh, the suspect told him he was there to suck toes. <laughs> We're gonna get in trouble for this one. Yeah, this is uh, yeah. We're on just, the nose. We're isn't just it? gonna stop on that one. What I want out of each and every one of you is a hard target search of every gas station, residence, warehouse, farmhouse, hen house, outhouse, and doghouse in that area. <laughs> All I want for Christmas is toes. I love that you and I have the same thoughts, because I was about to say, it's Santa, when you went in, it's Santa. (laughs) You were about to say, it's Santa. We we can't spend this much time together. All right, Pennsylvania police chief takes it upon himself to make Amazon deliveries. Aw. The police chief of Valley Township, Pennsylvania, is taking on a temporary unpaid second job, delivering Amazon.com packages. It all started Saturday with a phone call. It was from a resident who said there are numerous Amazon packages laying in the street in front of her house. The packages were found at Beacon Street and Cambridge Way, not far from the station. The packages were collected, and Newhall said they've tried to get Amazon to pick them up. Nobody came, and nobody ever called me back, he said. What happened next might make you smile. The chief has taken it upon himself to deliver them. We followed him on two deliveries Monday night. Uh, the first was to a farm about 35 minutes away. The whole family came out to thank him. Liz Allgaier lives at the farm. She said, I think it says a lot. They are very kind people. A genuine all-American hero. See, now that's one we should be ending on. Do you think, yeah, what is this last one? Nebraska. Oh, boy. Driver who blew a .25 said she wasn't impaired is a professional drinker. Oh, gosh. An Omaha police officer shared a story of a DUI driver on Twitter Thursday. KETV reports Officer Jeremy Zippe tweeted that a woman who blew a .256 on the breathalyzer said she, quote, had very little to drink and, quote, was not impaired because she was a she is a professional drinker. She was arrested for DUI and speeding after the traffic stop. Jeez. Newsflash. You can't drink and then come to work. You're not airline pilots. <laughs> that one always makes me laugh. Yeah, why does that one always make I, us laugh? What does that say about us? we don't us? know any airline pilots. That, that is a pretty insane number to blow in a breathalyzer. It is. But, man, could we have gone a little weirder on the first show of 2020 on the kickers right there? <laughs> Toe-sucking and... Naked Florida guy. Thanks for making me drinker. relive them. I was hoping to forget those. That one, man. Way to, way to set the bar high for the year. Well, and right before our birthday, right? Yes, tomorrow's the big day. Tomorrow's our one-year anniversary. Birthday? Anniversary? anniversary. Probably anniversary. We'll get back to you on that one. We'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll by tomorrow. figure it out tomorrow when we celebrate one full year of the common good with Ian Simmons and Brian Fromm here on AM 1160. Hope for your life.